welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. When in your life has your wardrobe changed? What caused the change? Fashion changes or symbols, in a sense, of life changes? Lead teacher Jeff Norris continues the series Colossians, The Supremacy of Christ, with this sermon entitled Position and Condition in Christ, which covers Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Let's prepare our hearts for worship. As we continue in the book of Colossians, Nathan Pearson is going to come and read for us. Scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 11. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, and obscene, uh, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Nathan. Let's pray aloud together our prayer of illumination. Gracious God, reveal your holy, eternal word to us and introduce us to the knowledge of your will. Where we have erred, correct us. Where we are wounded, heal us. Where we are needy, fill us. Good shepherd, lead. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Right at, uh, about, right at about 18 years ago, we journeyed, well, a little over 17 years ago, actually, we journeyed to uh, Ukraine, Rachel and I did. And we spent an entire month in in that country that, as we well know now, is so beleaguered and walking through so much. But back then, we journeyed there to adopt our son, who's now been with us for 17 years. He had just turned three at the time, and we, um, we were visiting him every day in his orphanage in, a, in his little hometown, uh, about an hour west of Kiev. And uh, it was a long process of having to stay in country for a month, and each day we're waiting on paperwork to get finished in the certain you know, proper things to take place. But in the meantime, we were able to go spend a couple of hours with him every day. And pretty much every day, for almost an entire month, when we would get there, he would be in the same clothes. Every now and then, he'd have a different shirt on. But almost every single time, he had the same old ratty sweater on and the same old ratty pants on. When it got to the point where on that last day, when the last papers had been signed and everything was official and we could take him from the orphanage, we brought something with us. It's new clothes. And when we were with him in this little room in his orphanage and we were preparing him to leave, we were undressing him out of those old clothes that we were going to leave in the orphanage. 
And we're putting on his new clothes from us. Those new clothes represented for him a new reality. But he was pretty unsure of that new reality. He was crying. He was confused. He didn't know why it was happening, why his old clothes that he was so accustomed to were being put to the side. And why these people who he had come to know but only as playmates are now taking him from the only home he ever knew. You know, I've thought about that a lot over the years of that picture that we lived out, that reality that we lived out. And I've thought about how there's such a picture there for the gospel and the truth of our faith. Even in this passage today, as we spend the next two weeks in chapter three of Colossians, so this week and next week, we're gonna be talking about this picture that that Paul gives us about putting off the old and putting on the new. And even though he didn't know the English language yet at that point, it would have been interesting to have known what he was thinking. If he could have articulated it, it might've sounded something like this. He he may have said, uh, these new clothes are nice. They smell a lot better than my old clothes, but I I don't know, I'm just not comfortable in them. I'm used to my old ones. Can we put those back on? The spiritual metaphor is that we have been made new in Christ. But for some of us, for many of us, all of us at a certain level, our old nature within us wants to go back to the old way of life. It's a constant pull. It's this gravitational pull to keep putting on the old rather than walking and putting on the new. Being, being in Christ, among many things, being in Christ means this. It means that we dress differently. <laughs> and I, I don't mean physically, although there are implications for that. It just means spiritually. We, we dress differently now because we've been clothed by God in Christ. He's clothed us in his robes of righteousness in a very similar way to where when someone adopts someone and they clothe them now in new clothes, meaning you are no longer of the possession of the state, you are now the possession of this new family. And so you'll dress like it. You'll have a new name, you'll have a new identity, you'll have a new everything. And even in the way that you dress, things will be different. We're halfway through this letter to the Colossians and in typical Paul fashion, the Apostle Paul, he spent the first half of the letter really laying out doctrinal truths. This is what's true, this is what's true of God, this is what's true of Jesus, this is what's true of you, the church. And so these are all the ways in which we embrace the deep life-giving truths of the gospel that he lays out for us in the first two chapters. And then, as in most of his other letters, he transitions about halfway through to If that's true, and it is, then this is how we are to live, practical living in light of the gospel. I love what one biblical commentator said. He said, what is satisfying about the second half of this Colossian letter is that so complete a picture of practical Christianity is given in so short a space. You can read through it quickly, but we would do ourselves a great favor to read through it uh, slowly, to ponder exactly what are the implications of the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so I'm gonna give you two things. As we observe these first 11 verses in chapter three, two things that we can consider, think about, apply 
The first one is this. Embrace your position in the righteousness of Christ. Embrace your position in the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to jump actually to verse 3. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense to start there and then go back to verses 1 and 2, but I think hopefully you'll see why in just a few minutes. But as we think about our position in Christ, meaning, what do I mean by position? Well, I mean, as we stand before God, how does he see us? What is, what is our position before him if we are in Christ, if we believed upon Jesus? Well, he's already told us in Colossians chapter one that what Jesus, through faith in Christ, what Christ has done for us is that he has transferred, and he's totally by his grace, he has transferred us from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. So we have, we, our position has changed. Our position used to be uh, that we were under the wrath of God because of our sin and that we were totally engrossed, completely, entirely blind to the reality that we're in the dominion of darkness. Darkness meaning in scripture, always representing the domain of sin and death. And so we, we were in that dominion of darkness and God by his grace, Ephesians 2 uses some really cool language here, says that we were dead in the trespasses of our sins in which we once walked, that we were following the prince of the power of the air, meaning that by default, we were Satan's and we followed the way of the world and that we were by nature children of wrath. So our very nature, meaning our sin nature, causes us to be in a position before God where we are condemned before him. And by his grace and by his grace alone, Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but God, not anything that we did or do, but his mercy and grace and love alone, but God, with the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you are saved. And so he, he uses some of that. If we go back to that Ephesians letter, but then we now couple it with this language in Colossians where he says that he transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, then we understand that our position before God has changed, that his, his wrath is no longer on us. We are no longer condemned, but just like we did with Samuel, our, our position is that we are his, we're in his family. We're adopted as sons and daughters of the king. And it's not just that we're no longer condemned, but we're now beloved. We are loved more than we could ever fathom. But something profound has happened in that transfer, and it's this, that where we were clothed in sin and unrighteousness, we are now clothed in uh, the royal robes of the righteousness of Jesus. That we are covered not only are our sins covered and forgiven, but we are covered, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ, as if it were our own. There's nothing that we did to earn it or get it or achieve it. It's simply by grace. And so watch what happens. Look at verse 3. Paul's reminding the Colossians of this positional change. And he says, for you have died, meaning you've died to that old self. You're no longer in the dominion of darkness. You have died to sin, to darkness, to death. And your life, I love this language, watch this. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. I love that. And it has two implications primarily. That it's hidden from the world, meaning the world doesn't see or get or understand this. And you begin to talk to those in the world, meaning those who don't believe in Jesus. Uh, the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of God. 
And so when you, when you begin to try to explain something like this to someone who's not in the faith, you want them to be, and you're trying to help them to get this, but it just doesn't make sense. It's hidden. You pray that God would open their eyes to see, to understand. But the second way that we can understand this is that we're literally hidden in Christ. Imagine this fist is me, okay? And it's me and my sin, it's me and my struggle, it's me and my, uh, all the ways in which I don't desire God. And, but upon Christ saving me, what happens? Imagine this hand is Jesus and the eyes right here of my eyes are God's eyes. So now if you could see what I'm seeing, I can't see my fist at all. Has it gone anywhere? No, it's still there. But it's covered by this other hand. All I can see is this hand. So you can think of it that way, where we're covered, we're hidden in Christ, to where, yes, I'm still there in all my struggles and all my inabilities, and he is remaking me and changing me, but it's slow and it's a process. But when he looks at me, he sees Jesus. He sees the righteousness of Christ. He sees the finished work of Jesus, and he says, I love you. I approve of you in every way. Your position before me is full and total acceptance. I've told this story before, but for me at least, I, I think it just from in my own head has served as a great visual of what this could look like. When I was a kid, there were several years in a row that I went to Briarwood um, Camp, Camp Briarwood. Briarwood, you may be familiar, is another sister church in our denomination over in Birmingham. I grew up about two hours north of Birmingham, so me and my buddies, uh, several of us, several summers in a row came down and spent a week at Camp Briarwood. And uh, we did something at the end of each of those weeks that was our favorite part of the week that would absolutely not fly today. And here's what it was. It was a uh, camper hunt where the counselors would hunt for campers who would hide somewhere on the premises in the woods at night. We would paint our faces uh, in camouflage. We would wear total black, somehow, you know, anything, there were no rules in the 80s, right? Anything goes, and somehow a kid never got lost, at least that I know of. In the first few years that I did this, I always was found, a counselor found me. I didn't find a great hiding place. But the last year that I was there, my fifth grade year, fifth grade was the last year you could go to this camp. In my fifth grade year, I had studied the grounds. I knew where to go. And I had found this huge bush, this small, I don't know what it's called. It's, I, I told, last time I told the story, I said it was an Ellie Agnes bush and one of you came up and said, no, that's not correct. I said, okay, so I'll just say it was a large plant of some sort, okay? Anyway, it's like hollow in the inside, but on the outside, really thick foliage to where once you kind of crawl at ground le level and get into uh, this bush, you. You can't be seen. If you walk past it, you have no idea someone's in there. No idea. So for probably two hours, that was my hangout. I was just chilling in this little tree house on the ground. And all these counselors walked right by me and had no idea I was in there. And I thought about that over the years. I thought about this verse. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. You have died to the way of life. He is surrounding you now to where you are in Christ, where when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. You're there. You're in Christ, but he's covered you in every way, not just forgiving your sins, but clothing you in, the, in his righteousness. 
to where your position before Christ, before God, is one of full and total acceptance. Your position never changes. You can't lose your position in Christ. You can't uh, sin your way out of your position in Christ. If you are in Christ, it is a done and finished work that he covers you and that you are hidden in him. To what end? Well, Paul says, look at verse four. He says, so that you can bank on this promise right here. You're hidden in Christ, which means when Christ returns, verse verse four, listen to it. When Christ, who is your life now, he's your life. Your old way of life is gone. Your new way of life is Jesus. And when he comes back, he's going to come in glory. He's going to appear in glory. And he's going to put all sad things away, all sinful things away. All darkness is gone. And he's going to bring all things into newness of life. And when he does that, you will appear with him also in glory. You will share in that glory with him. And there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more sadness, sickness, death, none of it. And you'll appear with him. You can bank on that. Why? Because of something you did? Because of how great you are? No, because you're hidden in Christ by his grace and by his grace alone. So in light of that, how do we embrace our position in Christ? Well, he actually tells us in the first two verses. It's simply this, you'll see it on the screen. You set your heart's affections and your mind's attention on things above. You're in a different reality now in the sense of that you're not who you once were. You're embracing your position and now that you're understanding and realizing how God sees you, your posture goes from one of cowering of like, oh, he must be so mad at me because I can't ever get it right to one of standing up in stature to say, oh, Jesus, you're my life, you're my glory, you're my resurrection, you're my hope. I I boast in only you. And so because now you are seated at the right hand of the Father, as he says here, which is just another nod that Paul does often through Colossians that Jesus is supreme. He reigns over it all. He is the greatest of authorities. And because you have all the authority given to you and because my position in you is secure, then I'm gonna set my mind and my heart on you and on the things of you and on the kingdom of God, things that are above, not on things of this earth. And he's not saying that we shouldn't be engaged in earthly matters. We have to be. We're human, we have to be engaged. And it's the biggest part of our witness is to engage in this world. But as it's commonly said, we are in the world, but not of it. And so we take every part of who we are, every ounce of our being, both in intention and desire and in affection and feeling, and we set it on Christ. And we take our mind's attention, our thoughts, because so much of what we believe is determined by what we think, not that it's just an intellectual exercise, But so much of the battle begins in the mind. And instead of setting our minds on things of this earth, we set our minds on things above. This is what Jesus was talking about when he talked about, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. So the longer we walk with Jesus, the more we begin to decipher and understand what are the things that last? What are the things that are of the kingdom of God? And what are the things that I could get really bent out of shape about of this earth, but I'm not gonna let it because it's just, it's not things I need to concern myself with. Now God reigns over it all. Everything matters at a certain level. But as the spirit does his work within us, we begin more and more to set our minds and our hearts on things above. And we embrace, we embrace our position in Christ. 
There's a second thing that I want you to see though. And that is that your position doesn't change. You're to embrace your position in the glory of the reality of the righteousness of Christ covering you as you were hidden in him. But Paul talks secondly in this passage about our condition, which on a daily basis is, feels as though that it's changing. So secondly, we have to mortify, mortify your condition through the power of Christ. Embrace your position through righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that is yours. But mortify, kill, that's just a big old fancy word for kill. Destroy, destroy your old condition that you keep wanting to run back to. And how, how are you to do that? Through the power of Christ. I mean, Paul doesn't mince words here. I mean, right there in verse five, he says it. Put to death, therefore, that therefore is important because of who you are in Jesus now, because of your position having changed from dominion of darkness to kingdom of beloved son. Now, in light of who you are, be who you are in Jesus. Live that way. Put to death, kill sin. Yes, grace covers all of our sin, past, present, and future. You cannot out the grace of God. But God's grace never minimizes sin. We are to never take it lightly. We're to never just go, well, you know what? God covers it, so no big deal. No, it's a big deal. It's a big deal because it affects so very deeply uh, many of things, not, not the least of which our relationship, our ongoing communion with him. You don't lose that relationship, but you certainly can be affected. And the ability to be used by him in his kingdom horizontally. And so Paul says, put it to death. So, so what we have is we have these two truths working at the same time. You have your position in Christ that never changes. You are hidden in Christ. His righteousness covers you. But on a daily basis, you still have this sin nature warring against you. You are still in a daily battle because Christ has delivered you from the penalty of sin, which is death. He's delivered you from the penalty of sin. And he's given you power through his indwelling spirit over the power of sin. It doesn't have to dominate you anymore. But he hasn't delivered you yet from the presence of sin. That's to come. There will be a day when the presence of sin is no more. But in this already not yet life, meaning the kingdom of God has already come in us, but it hasn't come in full around us and even fully in us. That in this already not yet, as we wait for the kingdom to come in full at the return of Christ, we're in a battle inwardly. And you feel it. If you're a Christian, you know it every single day. There's this battle waging. Where on one hand, you say, I'm going to live in light of who I am in Jesus today. I'm going to put on the new clothes, as it were, and walk in righteousness. But there's this gravitational pull to keep going back to your old clothes, your spiritual old ratty clothes. To keep going back and think, oh, this, is, this was good. I'm comfortable with this. This is what really brings me life. And you know it doesn't, but you keep running to it. And so Paul's encouragement to us, his admonition to us is stay in the battle, fight, put to death. You don't have power to put it to death, but Jesus does. And where is he? He indwells you. So fight, get offensive towards sin. Growing in Christ means that we're growing and developing a hatred for sin like he has. And it's a long, 
It's a long obedience in the same direction. And there will be many days. And if you're a follower of Christ and you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, you know this to be true. There will be many days where you feel like you're losing the battle. There'll be many days where you go, there is no progress being made in my, in my issues with sin. But we keep coming back to there is one coming who indwells me now and gives me power now to fight the battle that I don't think I can fight, who will come again and victory will be his. Therefore, because I'm hidden in him, victory will be mine in Jesus. And progress is being made, even though I don't see it sometimes. Because here's reality. There's many days where you'll wake up. This is my reality. I hope you, <laughs> I hope you are here with me on this. I wake up and, you know, early in the morning, you, you pray, you seek the Lord, you, you study your Bible, whatever it may be, and you go, okay, today I am going to walk with Jesus. Let's say that's 6 o'clock in the morning. 7 o'clock, you're already going, man, I blew it. I've already lost my temper with the kids. I've already gotten really jealous about somebody's post that I saw on Instagram. I've already coveted someone else's house. I've, you know, whatever it may be. It's already there and it's already coming out. And if you'll remember back to last week, so what do we do with that? Do we just go, well, woe is me. The battle is just winning. No, no, it's that walking of faith and repentance. Faith, we repent of our sin. We say, oh God, forgive me. Forgive me, it's already coming out of me. That old self, those old clothes, I'm starting to put that sock back on that reeks of that old sin. Help me take it off again. I'm just gonna take it off right now. I'm gonna walk in righteousness. And then, you know, a few minutes later, you go, there it is again. Let me, I'm not gonna put that on. I'm gonna take it off. And by faith, I'm gonna put on the righteousness of Christ. I'm gonna walk, I'm gonna fight, I'm gonna be in the battle. It's a daily battle against the old self. So how do we, that's, the, that's kind of the subtitle to this point. How do we, how do we mortify the flesh, so to speak? How do we mortify that condition of the old self? We, we put off and we put on over and over and over again. This is the picture that Paul gives us. We put off the old self, we put on the new self. This is, this is how we fight in the conditional reality of the Christian life. Remember, the positional reality doesn't change. Fully accepted, nothing we can do to change that. Why? Because we're hidden in Jesus. He sees us, he accepts us, he loves us. We're in Christ. Can't change that. Conditional reality, my condition changes based on uh, my walking with Jesus and am I gonna put on the old clothes of sin or am I gonna put on the new clothes of righteousness and which one am I gonna walk in? Not just today, but at every step along the way today. And if for just a moment I'm putting that pants leg back on of old sin, I need to see it quickly and take it off and say, Lord, I don't wanna do that. Through Christ in me, through the power of Christ in me, I wanna kill that, mortify it, and put on righteousness. This is the beautiful picture that, that Paul gives us here in this chapter. We'll look next week even more at what does it look like to put on. He talks a lot about putting off in this one, in the, what we read today. Here's the sin. I mean, here's the thing, guys. We can't, we cannot, don't, don't, don't miss this. We cannot manage sin. Can't manage it. We have to kill it. Christ says, when we think that we can manage sin, we've already lost the battle. A lot of us think we can manage sin. You know, you look at this list, he lists a lot of stuff here. 
sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. He reminds us, why do we have to get so nasty with our sin? Why do we have to kill it? Well, because it's because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Not for the Christian, because we're under Christ and he took his wrath for us. But just in general, it's because of these very things in the heart of humanity that the wrath of God is coming. That's how serious this is. It's not something that God plays around with. And then he reminds us in verse seven, these, in these you too once walked. He's, he's reminding you, this is not who you are anymore. You used to walk in these things when you used to live in them. But that's not who you are anymore. Be who you are in Christ. And then he lists some more. He says, verse eight, but now put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth, lying. Put, put them away, kill them. But many of us approach these sins, even the ones that he's listed here, and we think, we think in our in the deep, down in the heart of hearts, we think, I've got a hold on that. I can manage it. Please hear me, you can't manage it. You think you can manage it, you've already lost the battle. Many, many years ago, when we lived in Athens, Georgia, we lived in this house that um, backed up to just these thorns and thistles and deep, thick overgrowth. And I went to the, I went to Home Depot or Lowe's, one of them, and I got this uh, this sling blade, because I had no money. Couldn't get a bobcat or something heavy to go in there. And, and I was just like, I, I'll, I can manage this. And I got in there and long pants and long sleeves and gloves, and I just started hacking away. And I don't know how long I did this for, but it was long enough to where I was soaking wet. And I thought I had made so much progress. I just had my head down working just chopping away. And at some point, exhausted, I look up and I stand up over this brush that was probably up to about my chest. And I realize I've barely made any progress. And it served as such a picture for me for the Lord saying, hey, this is how you approach sin sometimes, Jeff. You think you can manage it. You think you've got a hold on it. You say, just give me, give me the blade. I'll take care of it. And you go in there and you hack away and you, you come up exhausted and you look around and survey the landscape of your life and you, and you conclude this, I can't manage it and sin is absolutely owning me. Sexual sin is owning me. Immorality is owning me. Rage and anger and malice and slander and lying and speaking ill of others and all these things, covetousness, all of it, it's owning me, it's there, it's brewing within me. And I desperately need help. And there's two people in this room listening right now. There's one who have, has never come to Jesus. And you aren't hidden in Christ and the righteousness of Christ doesn't cover you. And today's the day that you see that sin is killing you. And today's the day you repent. You say, forgive me, oh God, I come to you as the only one who covers my sin and positionally puts me in the kingdom of his beloved son. There's others of us in here who we believed upon that. We're positionally accepted before God. We are loved more than we could ever imagine. But we've been walking around in old ratty clothes even though we're in the righteousness of Christ. We've just gotten comfortable again with the old self and we haven't been engaged in the battle. And we're miserable. I've often said that the most miserable people in the world are not non-believers. They're Christians who are walking in the old way of life. They know the truth. They've tasted of the righteousness of Christ. 
But they're even more miserable because they know it. Their eyes are open to it. And they're just not in the battle through the power of Christ. Here's a very, very, very practical way I want to leave you with this. By the way, I love how Paul gives us that picture in verse 10 about put off the old, put on the new. And then he just reminds us in verse 11, by the way, there's no distinction here. There's no distinction. We're all one family. We all fight the same battle. Let's come alongside each other and fight it together. One super practical thing I want you to do from here on out, every morning you, you get dressed, at least I hope you do. When you get dressed, sometimes you'll get dressed multiple times a day if you've worked out, exercised, and you got a shower and so forth. Whenever you're getting dressed, I don't want you to think about it as I'm just putting on physical clothes. I want it to be a reminder for you and for me. Oh God, help me remember that in this act of putting on literal clothes, would you remind me to put on righteousness and to take off, to put off sin? The prayer could look something like this. Lord, as I take off these dirty clothes, let it be a reminder of what, I am, what I'm to take off in my sin nature every day. And as I put on these new clothes, let it be a reminder of what I need to put on in you today. Remind me that I'm clothed in your righteousness, that I'm covered in Christ and that I will appear with him in glory when he returns. But also remind me of the sin that so easily entangles me and give me your power to throw those vices off to kill sin. I am yours, Jesus. Help me to dress like it. In your name, amen, O oh Lord our God. Would that be our prayer? Would you help me, O oh, oh Lord, would you help all of us be men and women who rejoice with every ounce of our being of what Christ has done for us, that we are covered, hidden in him, covered by your righteousness. But help us also to engage in the battle through your power within us, to not tr merely try to manage sin, but to kill it, to destroy it, to put it out of our lives. Or do a work in us that only you can do. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We only have a couple minutes left. But we're still going to sing. We'll sing a little chorus here. Let's stand. Let's sing together. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.